101 and more. The radio show for you that talks about the music industry and makes you learn good stuff. I'm your professor, David Kirk Philp. It's coming now. On the nation's number one college radio station. Oh, it's this. Brave New Radio with Dr. Esteban Marconi. Hey, Dr. Esteban, how are you? I am fine. And how are you? I am Professor David Kirkfield. My birthday is tomorrow, so I'm I know peachy that. keen, peachy keen doctor. Right. Turned 30 tomorrow, so I'm Actually. the youngest professor at university. of Boy. The University of William Patterson. There's our new, it sounds right. collegiate. <clears throat> We're listening to Don't Let Love Down. Rob Fusari, the person pushing all these knobs, pushing up and down the dials, giving us the cans for our ears. Her name is Ashley Weltner. Ashley Weltner. Thank you. Thank you, Ashley, for being here tonight. I'm your professor, David Kirkfield. Music Biz 101, Ampersand More. We have a guest who will call in tonight, Paul Rizzo, the co-owner of The Bitter End. Yes. And it's a bitter end. It's Is he bitter. a co-owner now? I went back. We had him. We did Music Biz 101 and More live back in October. Yes. And I had co-owner on those notes. So we can find out for sure well, when he calls in. two of his partners have both passed away. That's why I wasn't sure if he was still a co-owner yeah. or what, because I know... Uh, and there was yeah. another one. One of the co-owners had been named Paul, I think, too. Yeah, Colby. Yeah. Paul yeah. Colby okay. was the, the original okay. buyer from Weintraub. Okay. And I'm wondering if Weintraub is related to Jerry Weintraub. That's you? what my first thought was that, too. Yeah. yeah. And Jerry Weintraub ran Atlantic Records in the 60s or 70s. He was in the Warner family, right? He was more of a impresario and a promoter. Yeah. Yeah, -E and he, I, I think he also, uh, he took over Sinatra's career a little bit, brought the main event into Madison Square Garden, that big Sinatra concert, and um, he, was, uh, yeah. um, he was much like uh, the Mensch, basically. Oh, okay. Yes, he uh, passed away in 2015, right. American film producer, talent agent, and actor. Very funny. There's a little story that Matt Damon talks about. Because Matt uh, knew him quite well. Uh-huh. And uh, Jerry said to Matt, well, you went to Harvard for one year. And he says, yeah, I, you know, I dropped out. And he says, well, uh, you want to get the degree? And, and Matt says, well, sure, but I'm, you know, he says, and Jerry said to him, well, there's always a guy. We'll get a guy to, you know, there'll be a guy at Harvard that we can. Mm -hmm. And Matt thought that was hysterical. Like, you know, there'd be a guy that's going to give him 100 credits. Yeah. And, because <laughs> just that's the way the business works. Right. You know? We'll just find the guy, you know. <laughs> and and pass you. It was very funny. And you were that guy for Paul, uh, I'm sorry, for uh, Rob Fusari, who we're listening yes, to. Yes, I was. You, you helped get him. By the way, when you mentioned the, uh, the mensch, that was Shep Gordon. Yes. So our listeners, because... I've been thinking of him lately, Chef Gordon, legendary manager. Can never remember his name, <laughs> and I have to go and type in Mike Myers' documentary. Because uh, I've read the book fifty times, I can't right. remember his name. So, hey, yeah. listeners, it's good to have you here tonight. Musicbiz101wp.com. That's the website. Go there. Sign up for the weekly newsletter. Follow us on the Instagram, the Twitter. The very friendly to all people. They'll save all your information and never give it out. Facebook mm -hmm. at Musicbiz. 101 WP. Of course, you will listen to this as a podcast on iTunes and the SoundCloud. Let's give thanks, Dr. Marconi. Shouldn't we? 
uh, put your hands together, close your eyes, bow down. I want to give thanks to the good folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management uh-huh. with artists like Charlie Puff, Dave Matthews, Kith. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to VB. Hyphen. <laughs> CPA.communist. When it's good for you. They're it, very busy right now. Well, it's tax time. That's right. People don't think about the business Friday. manager. They think they just collect the money. They do the taxes, too. They yes. do a whole lot more. We've had Aaron on twice, Aaron Van Dyne. We mm-hmm. should, maybe we should have him on again in the fall. Sure. Yeah. And our, our friend Ashley he actually, thinks he's a, great guy. he's a good guy. He actually subbed for me when I had my operation last that's year. That's right. For several weeks. When you had your checkup from the neck up. Yeah, that's right. Marconi was given a brand new neck last year. Gosh. See? He doesn't swear anymore. And also, we thank... Christine Vey, a wealth manager and the president of Vey Wealth Management. Mm-hmm. Christine has helped many professionals at William Patterson the University manage their investments, plan out for their retirement. If somebody like you is looking for guidance on how to plan for your retirement, or if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance and retirement planning, give Christine a call at 732-432-455-1510. And you could also email her, Christine <laughs> at oywealth.com. Okay. For advisement. We want to give a shout out real quick to Sprint, big sponsor of our big 80s show that took place. Yes, how'd that go? Uh, Sprint Ruby's Travel, Columbia Bank. The show went excellent. We sold, I will tell you, I will actually give you some information right now. Nobody knows this information. Yes. We sold a lot 30 percent more tickets than last year very good we made in terms of money we made almost uh 100 more revenue than very last year very good so that was that was very good right across the board we did we did great and this was a show i want my 80s the best of mtv's ladies rob fusari was a music director we listened to him at the top of the show we had taylor dane as our guest artist now here's an interesting thing for those listening if you're in a band or you're promoting a show the artist performed, and we had a, a deal with her in which she performed three songs with us. It was supposed to be four. She ended the first act with us. She had a cold, Taylor Dane, great voice, congestion. She did a medley of a Barry White song, Suddenly Can't Get It In My Head. That's not the name of the <laughs> Barry White song. That sounds like a Barry White song, Suddenly Can't Get It In My Head, by Barry White, everybody. And then she did... Prove Your Love. So mm-hmm. the Barry White song and Prove Your Love is sort of a medley. And then she did Tell It to My Heart, which mm-hmm. was her, I, I guess, the song she's most known for. As she's doing both, remember she has this conjecture. Remember she's sick. Mm-hmm. The fog machine is going. She's breathing oh. in this foggy air. And it ended up giving her a very horrible reaction. And she was not able to come back on the second half of the show. Can't Get Enough of Your Love was the very white song. Right. She couldn't come back at the end of the show. In fact, she had to leave before the show was over because she wow. had such a bad reaction to this. So that's something to be aware of. So we're on stage while our headliner isn't here. DMC, Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC was there. We moved him over a little bit so that he could basically took over that spot as headliner for the second act. Mm-hmm. Sort of. We did uh, two songs right after him. But right. uh, he tore the house down. He was amazing. He's, got, he's got a great energy and a great shtick. My mom, 79-year-old 
mom um, loved him. Thought wow. he was awesome. She great. goes, I like that DMC, <laughs> which, is, which is great. But uh, she thought he was great, which is good. But he had a great message. Well, He's I got- wonder if there's any shifting of that because of uh, headliners getting sick at clubs in New York City. Maybe like a club like the Bitter End would have to do that. We could talk when Paul calls in. He's still not calling. Ah, what a transition <laughs> he didn't pick up on. Right. If only he was here to call in. I told him these were Eastern Standard Time uh, radio show. So we'll see. So, But right. that that's something, too, if you're working with a show, promoting a show, we're dealing with... I, I learned this from Paul Sinclair, who we work with at Atlantic Records. And Paul Sinclair's whole thing was... When you're dealing with artists, you're dealing with human beings. You are not dealing with, if you're General Mills making mm-hmm. Cheerios, it's very easy. Every box is the same. Every Cheerio you put in there, you make from the same ingredients. It's all the same thing. But once you're dealing with people, whether you're on stage or off stage or wherever you are, you never know how they're going to react in front of an audience or what's going to happen sure. that day. It's the Cheerios, the machine's going to do it. You fix the machine and you make more Cheerios. But the human being gets sick, then what do you do? That's right. In your live career, did you have, and all the times that you've played with artists, have you had issues like that before? Where, well, I didn't work one night or two nights, I think, because I had split my lip. As so a trumpet they, player, yeah. Right. So okay. they went on without me. But you play with a hundred four fever. You right. The show goes on, as you know. You know, you just do it. Right. Um, yeah, there have been cancellations. Uh, at one time, I believe. Um, Chuck Berry canceled because we were really looking forward to opening up for him somewhere. Mm-hmm. And he canceled the show because he was whatever, sick, but who knows? <laughs> so it does happen. Right. But uh, you try not to make it happen or let it happen. But sometimes it's just, you know, uh, nothing you can do, especially singers when they right. lose their voice, you know. Well, here's a good one. Totally on the same subject. Bobby Mahoney from Bobby Mahoney and the Seventh Son, one of our alums, mm-hmm. opened for Bon Jovi on Sunday night. Mm-hmm. I was talking to Bobby the other day, how to go. He's telling me how it went. He said they actually, you know, Richie Sambora used, was a founding member of Bon Jovi and was basically kicked out of the band, mm-hmm. I believe, for um, substance abuse mm-hmm. problems year two, three years ago. Richie was there. They had a dressing room for Richie. They had his guitar already. Um, they were all set. Bobby said he heard on the... Um, intercom or on the walkie-talkies yeah richie's left the uh, left his hotel yeah we're getting in the car richie's coming over richie never showed up somewhere wow. between the the limo i guess and the stage mm. there was something happened richie did not show up for the show wow so again you're talking about yeah the people so i don't know if anybody in the audience thought he was going to be there or not or if it was just going to be a surprise but yeah, i hadn't heard yeah but all. yeah but again, you know, and that's you're dealing with the whole substance abuse. Mm-hmm. You have no idea mm-hmm. if somebody's going to uh, just lose it on sure. stage. Absolutely. Bands like The Who used to tour, and Keith Moon near the end would get through two or three songs, and he'd be so drunk that they. There's a great book by your friend Dave Marsh right. called um, Before I Get Old, taken yeah, from the, yeah. the uh, yeah. My Generation, yep. written by Pete Townsend. And, uh, this one gig, Keith Moon can't make it through the third or fourth song, and he just falls flat out drunk. Mm-hmm. And they actually call into the audience the dream of every musician ever. They call into the audience, can anybody here play drums for us for the rest of the show? And some guy did. Wow. And that was my dream. Yeah. My whole life. 
how awesome would that sure. be for the real drummer to just fall down drunk and almost die so I can take his spot? <laughs> Isn't that happy? So, as you can tell, we're killing Any time. Any port in a storm. What? 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 Any port in a storm. You get any drummer you need <laughs> in, the, <laughs> right. in the storm. May I, may, may I go back to another question for you? Because <clears throat> getting into this whole thing, because you mentioned you split your lip. Yes. And that's another thing, the health of an artist. Yes. And as a trumpet player, you're, you, we're thinking you're making your living on your fingers so you about can't get carpal inch, tunnel. And yeah. about an inch of flesh. Yeah. That's what we all say. Your entire life is based on this little inch of skin mm -hmm. and some days it reacts well and sometimes it doesn't of course you know but uh i do recall that happening and i think it was only one night i think i couldn't mm -hmm. you know perform did you have to take a lot of care of you like a voice of vocalist no, you not can't as talk much as the and, voice because yeah. the voice guys always would put on a scarf and they'd be drinking tea with lemon Right. In between sets and so on. Especially if, you know, I've told this story many times, you really become a band. Or I can say that the band I was with, we really became a band when we worked six nights a week, six sets a night mm -hmm. for three months. Six sets a night? How long was it? Was each set? Well, when 8.30 to 2.30 was the gig. Okay. Whatever it was. <laughs> but uh -huh. six sets a night, six nights a week. And then we also rehearsed during the day. So you become, you become, <laughs> you become a musician. You <laughs> right. know, once you've done that, then you have really, um, you've crossed another bar. You know, instead of playing weekends or we rehearse and then the guitar break out, so we didn't have a rehearsal. And no, six nights a week, six sets a night is, uh, it, you become an athlete, you know, as well as a, as a musician. Those were your Cavern Club days. That was your 10,000 hours as a band. Sure, covers and originals. Now I would think that either makes you or breaks you. Either you stick together, like you were saying, through it, or I can't stand yep. this and yep. these people anymore. Sure. When uh, at our 80s show, we had Chris Butler on the air last week, and I was talking to Chris, and um, he was in the waitresses, and they had one... Here's... Okay, he had one... one uh, Lasting sort of novelty hit. I know what boys like. Right. They had a Christmas song called Christmas Wrapping. Right. Also, a sort of novelty hit, but that's the song that he's been able to put his kid through college mm -hmm. with. We had him on the air once. Check that out the podcast. Yep. yep. And he was talking about uh, the band lasted 82 was when I know what boys like a year and a half before they just busted. Mm -hmm. He said they were touring, 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 or as Dave uh, Laurie would say, touring, touring, touring. Mm -hmm. Dave, Dave uh, Laurie says tur, going on tur. <laughs> and, but they were touring like crazy. And um, Patty, who was the lead vocalist, just left, came back, left, came back. Mm -hmm. And he said they just eventually just imploded or exploded. Yeah. It, they couldn't do it together yeah. anymore. And uh, he still has a little bit of regret about it because I was driving him to Sirius XM last week and we were talking about that. And he, he kind of gave this... Yeah, you know, like that, that was his shot. That was, uh, yeah. and he did pretty well while he was there. Sure. But again, it goes back to people. You never know who's going to flake out on you. And you never know mm -hmm. how, how that's not going to work. But so we were talking about I Know What Boys Like, 82, 83. I asked him if he'd ever read the book Hitman. 
which he has. The book Hitman is all about ra independent radio promotion and uh, the mob involved with, involvement with that in the late 70s, early to mid 80s. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting in on a conversation at uh, Polygram Records in back in 82, and they were talking about hiring independent radio promoters, which they needed to do back then to get a song on the radio. If you didn't do that, because these independent radio promoters owned radio, and mm -hmm. whatever you heard on the radio, the hits were played by these guys. And um, so they were talking about that, and uh, then all of a sudden their voices just kind of got hushed, and uh, Chris Butler sat there and said, is this the time that I'm supposed to get up and go to the bathroom? And they <laughs> kind of like nodded, so he got up and he went to the bathroom. He said uh, their decision in the end was that they did not support I Know What Boys Like uh -huh. with uh, independent radio promotional funding. Uh -huh. And he said the song was not a top 40 hit, even though it got a lot of airplay on, on uh, MTV. Right. And um, another song that then we discussed that was probably like that was Tempted by Squeeze, mm -hmm. which is to this day a really well-known song, but only made it to, I think, like number 41 mm -hmm. on the charts. But everybody knows that track, but everybody would be surprised to find that that was not actually a hit song sure yeah exactly so these guys uh there's something called the sort of the circuit club circuit in new york city mm -hmm. and the bitter end has been a um, fixture of that circuit for many many years actually back to the 60s mm -hmm. and in the 60s was owned by a gentleman by the name of paul colby and he wound up actually be doing a number of things besides owning the club. He was actually a uh, song plugger for, um, I believe it was Benny Goodman's publishing company. Mm -hmm. uh, and then he went on to do uh, assistant work for Frank Sinatra. He was his personal assistant and so on. So he had a a variety of things that he did before he actually bought the mm -hmm. Bitter End from this guy. And the Bitter End originally was a coffee shop. It started as a coffee shop. And actually that's how it sort of got into the folk sort of um, presentation room that it was in the early beginnings. Because, of course, everybody from, um, you know, Bob Dylan to whomever went through there, uh, and uh, it was a fixture in Greenwich Village when Greenwich Village was really the bohemian place where you could get a room for 20 bucks and so on and so forth. And somehow this uh, club, which is now just owned by, I believe just by Paul Rizzo because his other two partners passed away, this club isn't really a circuit for the A uh, artists anymore. It yeah. sort of has come down somewhat. Uh, and in doing that, uh, it has been able to stay open. It's, I think, the oldest rock club or the longest-running rock club in New York City, uh, still down there on uh, Bleecker Street. And I think that um, it's a good... I think it's a good representation of what branding can do and how something can be branded many ways. And in the early days, it was branded not only by the people who performed there, but also the people who recorded there. Mm -hmm. And there are many, many live albums that you can look at today that will say live from the bitter end. So it still has this sort of 
you know, cachet type thing to it, just as if you played Radio City Music Hall, you know, since right. 1920s or whenever that opened up. Uh, so consequently, I think things go through cyclical, you know, just they be, the cycles, and they go through these cycles, and sometimes they crash and burn, and sometimes they have a way of staying alive. And if Paul gets onto the, <laughs> calls in, which he right. should be calling in any second ago, uh, that would be one of the questions we would certainly ask him, mm-hmm. is how you sort of became the sole owner of this brand, and how did you keep this brand alive? Right. Uh, when I'm sure rents went up and so on and so forth, you know. We had Steve Walter, who owns yes. the Cutting Room on, or is one of the co-owners of the Cutting Room, a couple of years ago, yes. I think. And that's why I thought this would be a really good interview to kind of compare Steve Walter in the Cutting Room with yeah. uh, Paul Rizzo in The Bitter yeah. End. Cutting Room's doing almost uh, five, seven nights a week now mm-hmm. with um, talent. I think they're probably a little stronger right now in talent than The Bitter End uh, books. Uh, but of course, a bitter end, as we just said, has that pedigree of, you know, every artist from Lady Gaga to Woody Guthrie to every comedian you can yeah, Woody have Allen. a name. Yeah, they have on their, uh, you go to the bitter end, bitterend.com and yeah, Woody they, Allen is, is mentioned in. And all the, uh, every comedian you s- could ever soupy mention. Soupy Sales. Yeah. Wavy Gravy. <laughs> from the real 60s. Henny Youngman? Yes. Just look at the comedians right now. Take my word. Steve Marconi. Uh-huh. No, I don't Rip think Taylor. I ever played. The, you never played there? No. Played the um, place called the Village Gate there. Mm-hmm. Um, actually opened for Billy Joel at the, at the Village Gate. I keep learning all these different artists you opened for. You, you opened for the Dead. You opened for Jimi uh, Hendrix. You opened dead. for Billy Joel. <laughs> Yeah, but he was in a band called Attila, uh-huh. and you could actually go outside and go down the block about 10 stores, and still the sound would kill you. It was the, one of the loudest bands, mm-hmm. if not the loudest band we ever... You couldn't right. stay in the club. There, there's no way. And he talks about that a couple of times, uh, uh, mentioned that a couple of times in something I've read, mm-hmm. that you know he has said that the band was so loud, just two guys. Just Billy and a drummer. Right. Basically. So, yes, anyway, I think that was the Village Gate when the Village was really hopping with, you know, Folk City and all those mm-hmm. clubs that uh, were just really establishments that have all gone out of business because of the rent right. and so on and so forth. And CBGB's was down? That was the Village, too, right? CBGB's was on Bowery. Okay. And it was really wasn't yeah. part of that because... The CBGB just, you know, it stood, you know, what CBGB stands for country bluegrass, CBG, country blues, and whatever oh, it stands could be bluegrass. Yeah, yeah. figure it out. But that's yeah. what it, it meant. And um, then it became a punk club, you know, mm-hmm. and it just exploded uh, with all the great punk musicians playing there. And they probably played the bitter end as well, mm-hmm. I would think. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I also played a place on St. Mark's where actually we showcased 
a place called the Electric Circus that people talk about, too. Mm -hmm. That was a huge club upstairs. You had to go up a flight of stairs and telling a story now. And they had a watchdog, and the watchdog was on the first floor. Mm-hmm. And you'd, even when you were leaving at night, you prayed that watchdog was tied up because <laughs> it was. I never saw it. Mm-hmm. I just heard it. I wouldn't look at it. It was the meanest sounding bark in the, right. you know, in the world. So anyway, a lot of uh, people played that club a little later. What was the name of that club again? It's called the Electric Circus. Oh, okay. What about Fillmore East? Yeah. I where was the, where was the Fillmore East? It's on Second Avenue. Okay. Uh, it was a it was a movie theater. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was quite different than the Fillmore West, which I also played. But the Fillmore East was uh, basically a movie theater. And um, if you played the Fillmore East many times, that was a audition for the Fillmore West. Mm-hmm. And I believe that's what we had done. We, we played on an audition night, the Fillmore East, and then played the Fillmore West with... Uh, I think Delaney and Bonnie rings a bell. Oh, really? Okay. Remember that band? Clapton played with Delaney and Bonnie. Yeah, I can't remember who was playing with him at that particular time. It might have been Clapton. I can't mm-hmm. recall. Um, but yes, did that for about a week in... Uh, well, did a whole West Coast circuit, Whiskey Go-Go, mm-hmm. in, in L.A. and, you know, all of that. Uh, and then a couple of weeks in Seattle where it, it was in January, I believe... And they tell me there's mountains, beautiful mountains surrounding Seattle called the Cascade Mountains. But it rained every single minute. So I never saw the mountains. I only had to take their <laughs> right. word for it that there were mountains surrounding this. Uh, a horrible place in the winter, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Anyway, probably beautiful now, but global right. warming, you know. <laughs> that would do right. it. There's no such thing, don't lie. Yeah, that's right. Our friend uh, Aaron Van Dyne, who we mentioned earlier, goes to Seattle quite a bit. I believe oh, yeah. Dave Matthews lives out there. Yeah, he it's, has a winery out there. Yeah, too. so he goes out, and every time he has a meeting, <laughs> like a one-on-one meeting with Dave Matthews, he flies out, basically does a – flies out, has his meeting, and then takes a red-eye back. Yeah. So he – I don't even think he stays the night. Yeah. I mean, that's a long That's a long journey, day. Especially when you're pushing – He had a birthday on Sunday. That's right. Yes, he turned uh, Bobby Yeah, That's right. <laughs> Young guy he is. You know, what's funny, I was thinking as you were talking, when I was 19 years old, I had a radio show here at, at WPSC. Ah. And I, I um, went uh, co-hosted with my friend Mike and Mike Toll, who used to know, who's now mm-hmm. an airline pilot, so that percussion, that music management degree has done, done him well. Right. And um, so... Uh, I remember going on and on about I was about to turn 20, like the next day or two days later. And I kept going, where did my teen years go? Mm-hmm. That, that was the, the whole two-hour show. I just kept screaming and yelling it. Uh-huh. And today I'm 49, and tomorrow I turn 50. Wow. And I ask, where did my 40s go? Is anyone having a party for yeah. you? That's a big number. Yeah, no. So that would be... <laughs> Somebody threw a surprise What's party 49, for me when I was 49 50. minus 19, 30. So f- almost like 30 years to the day. Yeah. I still have a radio show on WPSC, and I don't know if that means I've done God. anything with my life. If Did I'm still the in the same crappy, and, what? They paint the place in the last 30 <laughs> no. years. <laughs> this, hey, listeners, you should take a look at where we are because it's a uh, yep, a very... Is that the same board? This, this has got to be the same board. We used to have... Come on. Um, we didn't have 8-tracks, but That's they an, called them carts, and you would push yeah, the 8-track right. the the technology. Yeah. 
we had just gotten CD, but we still played a lot of vinyl on the air. I mm-hmm. like how Ashley keeps looking at the phone, but uh, <laughs> nobody's calling in, Ashley. <laughs> I don't think anybody's realized that this is going to be the Marconi, Philp, and Ashley show. So, uh, right. as you can tell, you can only for so long. I got a whole nother half hour. To... <laughs> I know, we got, we got some time. Hey, right. let's keep continue with the stretching. That's right. That's right. But um, up until now, it's been good. But just uh, Well, that's debatable. Where did my 40s go? But right. I will tell you that in my 40s, I got this job. Working at William Patterson University. Oh, right. what were you doing? <laughs> <laughs> to get this job, I'm paying you lots of money in order to get. We, might, get we the job. should have a uh, asterisk next to Mike Toll because he had a job in the industry and he, he did, left. And he it. left. Yes. yes, he worked for your friend. Yes, for he did. Adam Cornfeld, former student. Yes, right. and uh, that's an example. Of, so my friend Mike, we were uh, seniors together. We both went through the music management program, currently called Music and Entertainment Industries. Graduated in May 1990. About, I think it was February, about two months before graduation. He, what, what's the what's his company called? Adam Kornfeld's company. It's I A G I A G Artist Group International. International. Back then, right. it was called Q Prime. Yes, there was a time when it was. It was Q Prime back in 19... So this is 1990, February 1990. Uh-huh. He's interning for them, doing a great job. And they say, quit school. We want you to start now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember that. And I remember talking with him and saying, how can you quit college with two months left? Can't you just tell them to wait? If you're that good, wait eight weeks. Right. And, uh, and you know, <laughs> yeah. Say, I got it. I quit school. Break your the, leg on purpose. Ex- <laughs> and so they waited. So right. so he said, and now they waited. We graduated. So he and I, I had a job with Polygram waiting for me. He had mm-hmm. that job at Q Prime. And he was there for a year or two. Then he realized this was not what he wanted to do. And he, he mm-hmm. was, a, we were both percussionists. So he went and he did percussion stuff and bartended for at least a decade. Mm. And now he one time just realized he wanted to be a pilot. Wow. And now he's a, actually a really major league pilot for uh united airlines great like flying like really big like space shuttles and <laughs> space shuttles. b-52s god yeah for musk yes but he would say learning going to school and doing all that percussion music management uh actually helped him develop discipline and develop a really good work ethic mm-hmm. so there we go mm-hmm. come to william patterson you'll develop a good work ethic right and you'll be a success guaranteed so what else that's it. Done. Okay. Now there's more. So a priest, a rabbi, and a... No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. We could have our jokes, you know. <laughs> because in uh, April 11th, 1988, the day before I turned 20... Mm-hmm. Yes, the day before I turned 20. Is this going to be a podcast? This is definitely going to be a podcast. This is going <laughs> to be... Imagine if this was the most listened to podcast. <laughs> right. We were doing music business for a while. <laughs> we are the... Uh... Yeah. We're going to be the guest on the on the podcast. All right, you want to go back to music uh, to the biz. Please. I could give you some biz. So, and Ashley, pull up, pull up your microphone. A class I teach here at at um, what was how did I said? Well, I keep saying William Patterson University, which is my thing. But I said, uh, how did I make? I said at the beginning of the show, I said we sound more collegiate. Mm-hmm. The University of William Patterson. That's, that's it. Right. University of William Patterson. There we go. U of double M, <laughs> W M, <laughs> double M would be U M M. Well, W is an upside-down M, and we all know that. So do you recall, Ashley, so we had this 80s show last week, and Ashley's Mm -hmm. part of a class in the Music and Entertainment Industries program here, and it's called the Modern Entertainment Company. It's a two-semester class, and we're in the second semester. 
And we put together this 80s show, and a lot of it was built around developing revenue streams for the show. Do you recall how many revenue streams did we figure out for this big fundraising show that we put on last week? I believe it's about five, but I'll name them just in case I'm off. So we had donations, merchandise sales, ticket sales, um, offertory, which is where we passed around the buckets, Mm -hmm. and then sponsorships. And number six was the uh, auctions. Auctions, right. Oh, mm-hmm. man. So Can I still get a T-shirt? Yes, you can. And yes, you may. How can I get that T-shirt? If you call, I was going to give an 800 number. There is no 800 uh, number. Send me an email. I'm talking about for our listeners. Right. And you can take a look at the T-shirt if you are uh, on our mailing list. Because That's right. it's on the newsletter. In the newsletter. I yes. Yeah. And the T-shirts are how much now? Ten bucks. After the show? Eight bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Two for ten. Right. We were at the show. We had a merch strategy because we had. Tell tell mm-hmm. what the merch strategy was. Well, we had mugs and T-shirts this year, and personally, I was really excited about the mugs. But we had more mugs than T-shirts. Um, but you could we each of them were ten dollars, and if you bought them together, it was ten for fifteen. So you'd be getting one buy one get one half off. Really. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, did a lot of people do that? Yeah, we actually sold out of small, medium, and larges wow. at the show. That's good. That's we sold. Good. Now, so in dollars, mm-hmm. we got very lucky because one thing we learned is how did how much did we pay for our merch? Zero. How did we get that to that zero? What did we, we do? We um, we're gonna currently we're actually going to promote their Battle of the Brits show. That's Who, May. Who's the they? Blue Raven Entertainment. It's going to be on May 12th, and you're going to hear more about that on the radio station closer to the date, so mm-hmm. you can learn how to get your tickets to that soon. Um, we put them in the program, and... But go, but go back. Why, why did they give it to us free? Because we're going to be advertising for them, and giving, we're giving them something in return. Right. There we go. Yes. I saw that was a great program you had printed up. We printed up a program in which they had a full page. Yep, and Ash, Ashley and our friend Taylor um, did a lot of the work actually putting together this program. Mm-hmm. But when we talked about marketing this event mm-hmm. and how do we get sponsors and how do we get them interested and what can we do for them, what can they do for us with specifically Blue Raven, if we were able to get merch for free in exchange for us doing something for them. For example, so we're promoting the show called Battle of the Brits coming up May 12th, mm-hmm. and it's um, – Two cover bands of Rolling Stones versus Beatles cover bands. So uh-huh. this would be the ultimate, if this had been in real life and you had to battle the bands, the Stones versus Beatles, this would have been it. Right. And one of our sponsors, Sela's Paint and Wallpaper, came mm-hmm. to the show, saw, we put we had a big screen above that had a Battle of the Brits, um, uh, I guess, uh, icon mm-hmm. on this big screen behind mm-hmm. the band. And then we also had a full page for that in the program that we put together. They actually told me that they bought a pair of tickets to see Great. the Battle of the Brits. So we know we could quantify that we actually sold probably $50 worth of tickets already for our mm-hmm. sponsor, which you could say is nothing, but maybe that multiply that by a little bit more. And we're talking about it now. Somebody listens to this. May 12th, Battle of the Brits. Shea yep. Center for Performing Arts. Uh-huh. William Patterson University, University of William Patterson. 7.30? Sure. <laughs> Usually. Either 7 or 8, so let's go for 7.30. Okay. But, uh, there we go. Tickets available now. But that was one strategy. How, uh, so we're doing something mm-hmm. for them in exchange for free merch. Now, why did you choose the 80s for the music? Do you recall? 
Because at the um, at Shay and WP Presents, they had bands co- like cover bands and shows for the '60s, '70s, and '90s, I believe. And then you decided, well, no one's doing the '80s, so we'll cover the '80s, right? Right. Around that, there, I mean, there's more to it, but yeah, the basic thing was they had a lot of tribute bands, and uh, nobody was doing anything around the '80s. So I mm-hmm. saw a hole in their programming. So we were able to fill that hole for WP Presents right. and get people in. And um, it's an in-house show, so we didn't have to pay for the venue, which was very fortunate for yeah. us, which helps us make money for the show. If you're an outside promoter and you wanted to do a show, you'd have to pay money. Mm-hmm. Um, we were fortunate there. But what this does for WP Presents is it gets people in there who maybe would not go otherwise, and maybe now they're going to buy... Tickets to Battle of the Brits. They're going to come mm-hmm. back and go to another another WP Presents. Did WP event. Presents uh, collect emails or any addresses? They have many addresses. They uh, did a lot on social media. Mm-hmm. So we actually, one sponsorship we got, uh, we took that money from the sponsorship and used that with WP Presents, some of their money mm-hmm. to do, uh, we bought Facebook ads. Mm-hmm. And we used a company called Cambridge Analytica who was able to uh, find all of the information about you that you didn't yes. even know about. And, um, and we were Donald, set. too. Yeah. <laughs> That's well. right. But two- so you, you uh, now have done the 80s two years in a row. Right. The uh, focus was a little different this year, a little more focused, actually, in dealing just with women. Yes. Uh, do you think it's run its course? Possibly. Mm-hmm. I've, I've had this before where I've done... 80s themed or themed events for certain uh, for certain organizations because on the side I run a, a thing called You Choose, a company called You Choose Music. We just do charity concerts. Mm-hmm. And our, we started doing them in the 80s and our first one was huge. We made $15,000 for a charity called Kumak, a food wow. bank. Yes. The next year we made $11,000. Um, the third year we made about $6,000. And by the third year, it at the night as I saw people coming in, I could tell it had completely run its course. Just the mood was weird. Mm-hmm. We didn't sell the tickets. It was just completely different. And mm-hmm. uh, so we didn't do the 80s again for them. Mm-hmm. Um, on the other hand, I've done classic rock nights with one with the Wayne Rotary. And we've done four of them. And each one has gotten successively better and mm-hmm. more successful mm-hmm. to the fact where we already booked classic rock night five. So in, in this case... Um, the second 80s night that we just did, we made almost twice as much. And again, it's a fundraiser for scholarships for the music department. Right. We made uh, just about twice as much money as in 2017. Mm-hmm. So does that mean you do the 80s again? Or do you say, uh, right. you know, leave them wanting more and find another mm-hmm. hole that makes sense? Because we could do anything with this music department. So it's not like we're mm-hmm. hindered by anything. We could do whatever we want and we could do it very well. Right. Interestingly, it hit a really good audience because my wife, for example, was saying, why don't you do 2000s or the 90s um, or a lot more current music? And my feeling is the audience, again, we're going for an audience that has money to spend for scholarships. When we mentioned um, passing the plate around, we actually did sort of like you go to church and you get the offertory and you're passing Mm -hmm. the plate around. We did that and um, we raised this year over $1,600 just passing Bucket, these neon 80s themed buckets right. around the entire audience. Last year, we made just over a thousand. Mm-hmm. So we made um, 60% more this mm-hmm. year than last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we did it again, let's say next year in 2019, would we 
do have another 60% increase or would it be lower? Right. Was it just a function of that evening? Right. Um, but I, I don't know if we do. We're not going to do a show next year, another right. one of these. Even What's interesting is now we've done it two years in a row, and most of the feedback I've gotten, because I've gotten a number of emails and people who I don't know hitting us up on Facebook saying, I can't wait for next year's show. Mm. And we have done it two years in a row. So there's sort of that conundrum. But we have right. another show that we call Collage that we're doing next year on March But you 1st. didn't do a survey. I mean, the audience was not surveyed. No, no. Mm. Did you see a lot of... Uh, duplicates from of people who came yes yes and no some people who I reached out to who went last year and wrote emails back oh I loved it I loved it so I reached out to them and they all every single person said I can't go mm -hmm. but this year I got a whole other slew of emails from people because I did in the program I put in my in the program that Ashley put together I put I wrote a blurb about it and yes. at the end I wrote in terms of a survey this actually shows if somebody read the program. At the very end, I say, should we do this again? Send an email to me. I might actually answer. Mm -hmm. And I was getting emails um, over the last three, four days. I've been getting emails from people saying, I can't wait for the next show. So um, it's a sample size that's really low. So that does not mean, yeah, right. let's do a show because four people liked it. Right. So that's where you can get. And I think this is a really good lesson for people listening to this, especially DIY artists. I know certain students who have written a song and they've recorded it. Now it's out on Spotify. And they say, and maybe they have three songs. They go, everybody think this is the best song, this one. Right. And I like to go, so how many is this everybody? Right. Is this just mom and dad or is this just three or four sure. people? What is your sample size? And usually it's, then they start to kind of shrink down. Yes. and Because they've talked to like three people, like literally three people. Yeah. And it's, I said, you need a much bigger sure. sample size. So that's why I'm saying the same thing. We can't say, yes, we're going to do a show because four people on um, mm -hmm. four people sent me emails and mm -hmm. the same six people made comments on Facebook. Mm -hmm. That's mm -hmm. where, So that's where the survey comes in. But have you ever gone to a rock concert and filled out a survey? No. That would be, that would be kind of a tough thing. Yeah. So maybe. But they do it at Shea all the time. Right. <clears throat> Surveys. Yes. Okay. I've not seen one. Uh, by the way, the phone was just ringing. It may or may not be our guest. Is that our guest? It is our guest, so we have about 10, okay. 13 minutes with our guest. Paul Rizzo. Oh, he's coming in. Um, oh, Paul Rizzo from The Bitter End. We're going to have 13 minutes with we Paul. We weren't lying. Yeah. Hold on. It's going to happen. She's pushing buttons. Drum roll. Pushing. Oh, he has to change phones. Okay, so we still have a minute before he's changing phones. Right. So, um, so anyway, that's the de the deal with shows. And by the way, with our auctions, we made last year just over eight hundred dollars in auctions. This year, over just over eighteen hundred. Wow! So we over an, a one hundred percent improvement. Yes. So it's interesting. Paul Rizzo from the Bitter End. Are you there? I am, and I apologize. <laughs> I'm caught up in things downstairs, and all of a sudden, you don't realize the time. You're trying to run a business, Paul. We understand. Yes. That's what they tell me. Yes. We really stretch. We stretch for about uh, 38 minutes. So we, so we have <laughs> we about didn't. we have 12 and a half minutes with you. Okay. So this is good. We can ask just the, the best questions. Version. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk really fast. Steve Marconi, yes. say hi. 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 So, Paul, uh, I was reading bitter, The Bitter End was a coffee shop first. Uh, we didn't get a liquor license until 1973, so the first... 13 years of our existence when a lot of the big acts were playing here we didn't serve alcohol uh-huh uh-huh so, and is know. that what that was the um 
as we were reading, the era of basically the folk artist was mostly Well, booked. we were, at that stage, we were a very big stage, very big club at the time. People used to come in after they were successful and do five five nights, two shows a night. Mm-hmm. Very different than what we do now. Right. All right. So instead of launching, we were sort of, you know, a lot of the places like the Gaslight and places like that were doing what we're doing now, and we were sort of the 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 end of the road yeah type type scene we were talking earlier uh, how the uh, brand has stayed alive through the entire uh, 30 years or whatever 30 plus years and uh, you took it over um your second partner passed away three years ago was it yes i believe three years ago yeah, yeah. So, so i took it over i took we, we we i got involved in 1993 mm-hmm just being in the right place at the right time. You had met Paul Colby or? Well, I was working in the office. Uh, um, I was hired. I used to work. One of his, his partner before us was a, a guy named Pat Kenny. I don't know if you know Pat Kenny. No, I don't. Pat was a, Pat did a lot in the music industry. Pat owned Kenny's Castaways, the China Club. No, mm-hmm. not the China Club, the Cat Club. Do you remember mm-hmm. the Cat Club? Yes. Yeah. Places like that. He owned a place in Toronto called the Diamond Club. He was very, very big in the in the industry. Right. Um, he was so he was a part owner at the time, and I worked for him in the office. Mm-hmm. And then Paul came in one day and said he was throwing Pat out, and Kenny and I were at the right place at the right time, and we bought in. <laughs> Great. So yeah, well, I, in the se- I was on Epic Records with a band in the seventies, and I played. Um, I don't think I played the Bitter End, but I played the Electric Circus uh, on St. Mark's, and played. Um, I think downstairs at the Village Gate was doing rock, if I'm not... If I'm, oh, the, gate, the downstairs at the Gate was a great room. Yeah. I remember. I think I remember doing those two things, yeah. But not never the bitter end. Um, so now what... Uh, is the club sort of changed a focus or changed a... a um, well, you know, just since an, I've been here, mm-hmm. we've, we've pretty much been... Excuse me. Breaking bands. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we we're the stepping stone. We 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 house the bands when they're when they're not signed yet, and then they get signed. Some of them got signed here. Some of them got signed elsewhere. That's when the industry was different than it is now. I, I mean, people are getting signed from YouTube and sure. and stuff like that. So it's it's a very different industry than it used to be. Mm-hmm. But it has again getting back to that brand. I mean, the, not only the list of performers and so on, but that performed there, but also the number that recorded there. And then the idea of um, not only music, but comedians also, uh, you know, did a great deal of performing. I mean, I was looking at that list of comedians. I don't think uh, you guys... You know, a lot of them. comedians started here. Yeah, definitely. There weren't a lot of rooms then. There was, uh, I think, Us and Catch a Rising Star were the only uh, yes. rooms in the city. And then all of a sudden... Dangerfields opened up, and then Caroline's opened up, and then Comedy Central came. So it became a very different. Back then, it was it was very mixed. A comic would open up for a band a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people like Billy Crystal got his start here, and he opened up for a bunch of different acts. But he would he was the opening act, right? And now it's much more separated. Now people are not into both as much. They yeah. don't want to go see comedy when they see music. It's I don't know. It's it's sort of weird, but that yeah. that 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 separated out. I think when Comedy Central and all those other comedy clubs started opening, and 
were just comedy. Right. I wonder if the, uh, you know, I'm not sure that the converse is true. You had um, the the band's audience listening to a comic. I remember a couple of times uh, when I was on the road opening up for Dick Gregory, and we were the opening band. Really? Huh. And people were more, in, you know, they weren't really into the music because they wanted to see Dick as a one-man you know, show and so on and so forth. And we sort of came to the conclusion that at that time that uh, possibly that the the mix wasn't uh, that good on that side where you would have the the comedian's uh, audience and you were playing music for them. And I don't know if it was that they wanted to, to come and they wanted to hear the, the, the comedian. They didn't want to, you know, do the music first or, or what. But the, you're telling me that the converse was really... It worked well because obviously you had everybody from Billy Crystal to, to Hannah Youngman, uh, and then you were really doing the uh, larger bands doing the um, the headlining. Right, but there was there was a great story. Robert Klein, the band America was opening up for Robert Klein, uh-huh. and and in 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 the in the way that you said the, the band opening up for the comic. Right, but they had I think a number one hit with uh, Horse with No Name. Yes, at right. the time, so. There was there were more people there for the, for the band than there was for the comic. Uh, even though it was Robert Klein. Yeah. And uh, and and it was it was you know the nights like that I'm sure happened. I wasn't around then, so I'm sure I'm sure a lot of that happened. Yeah, yeah. I think you you would yeah that makes sense when there's a when the uh, the band has a hit, of course. Right. So, yeah, uh, we have a, a tweet that I'd like to read to you real quick. A question for you from Jeff Sourman. He wants to know what the biggest challenges you face as the owner. What are the biggest challenges you face as the owner of the bitter end? Uh, basically, paying the rent is always the biggest challenge in this city. Mm-hmm. Um, dealing with noise noise situations, dealing with the fire department, dealing with the health department. It's it's like that in any city, I guess. New York is not very conducive. Uh, to this industry, like a lot of other cities I've been to, mm-hmm. um, but you know they they De Blasio actually is a little better than some of the mayors in the past as far as the way some of the clubs are getting treated. But it's 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 um I'm sort of blessed with location. I can't argue that location definitely helps. It helps being on Bleecker Street. I'm sure it's a hard it's a harder struggle to open up a place where you don't have. The, the same traffic, right? That's probably added to the longevity of the club itself. Mm-hmm. And I think that, like the brand that you were saying before, I think the brand is everyone sort of has a good time when they come here. So mm-hmm. I don't have a lot of bad experiences. Some people obviously have bad experiences. Mm-hmm. Read my Yelp page, but um, <laughs> it's uh, you know. But I, I find more people will post bad experiences before they post good experiences because sure, sure. they expect to have a good experience. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so that's why I don't really take you know that stuff to heart. But that's, I guess, the biggest struggle is just, it's like any other business. It's it's just you know keeping the bills paid and keeping the door open and keeping the staff happy. Basically, mm-hmm. what are some of the things you do to get people to come in? Well, we're basic. We're basically we depend mostly on the draw of the band. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 a it's a booking issue. You want you want to try to book a bands that'll draw people. You you know you have a certain level of quality. You want to keep going, but 
ultimately you, you want to get the people in the room and that's the best way to do it. You know, on the weekends and sometimes during the holiday season, you get some tourists in. Yeah, I was just going to ask that tourists, um, which I think is down, uh, down in this area. There's so much to choose from now compared mm-hmm. to when I started in the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you know, with, with Brooklyn, with the emergence of Brooklyn as a scene, it's sort of taken away a lot of the, uh, the younger crowd. But it's uh, it's it's basically it's basically the draw that 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 is is the best way to get them in. Mm-hmm. And then um, Christine Welch wants to know how how do you do go about choosing the bands that you have performed there? Um, well, I do some of the bookings, and when I listen to it, I just I listen to the music, and I I I, I try to give it a shot. I give a couple of songs, and if if I'm blown away, uh, I'll I'll make a big effort to try to track them down and see how their draw is and, and try to get them in the room. I, I have the, I can put someone in a later slot and really not, you know, if I can, if I can space the night out, right, I can use drawing bands to allow me to book non-drawing bands. So a band coming in from out of town that might not have a following, but they're really good. You don't want to necessarily say no, cause you don't want to not give them a chance to play in the city. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's, it's it's you know you try you try to get bands that have a track record of drawing and you try to get bands that are basically singing in key without using auto tune. <laughs> <laughs> right. And uh, what is the payment policy? Basically, I'm well, it's all different. I have numbers. different promoters. I have different promoters. Different places do it differently. When I book the bands, usually I give a hundred percent of what they draw at the door. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the promoters take five dollars a head. Some of the promoters take the first ten. Some take twenty percent. It's all right. Right. It's all different deals that everyone has. Um, right. Do you have a minimum that they have to draw? Well, um, I'd like them to draw a minimum. I, I haven't really imposed that uh, aspect. Um, I mean, you want to expect at least each band member to draw at least two people, but it, it surprised me sometimes when a 10-piece band will draw three people. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it happens. So. Yeah. It's it's once once you've booked them and once they do the promotion, it's sort of you know you're at you're at their mercy. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they did their job, and hopefully when the people are there, you're doing your job. Right, and that's what you hope for. And uh, you would have more than one band a night. I have four to five bands during the week. Wow, and six to seven during the weekends. What are the hours that you're open for live music during the week and on weekends? During the week, I, I book a 7 o'clock act and then pretty much on, on the hour till midnight. And on the weekends, we go from, sometimes we start at 6. I have an open mic every Saturday afternoon if I don't have a special event going on, which mm-hmm. I have a lot of, you know, school recitals, school of rock and different things like that, mm-hmm. um, kids' events, you know, you want to, Start him young, and uh, it's uh, you know the music will start about seven o'clock during the weekends and go till like two or three in the morning. Wow. wow. Okay. And about yeah. forty-five minutes. Se- forty-five minutes. Sets. Forty-five to an hour. Yeah. Depends on what's going on. And the changeover. Oh, and they have to change over equipment and so on. Well, I have a full back line, so they really just unless they're setting up an elaborate keyboard setup or or a humongous pedal setup, then is really it's a pretty quick turnover mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. well we have to we had a pretty quick show and a, we have a pretty quick turnover now <laughs> we'll have to have you back. i'm sorry yeah it, no it's fine i mean uh 
we weren't charging you to do right. this. Right. And um, you brought in two people to listen, I'm sure. So this worked out well for everybody. And our, right. our, just, our set. And I apologize for everyone who was expecting me to be on earlier. We'll do it another time. Though. Yes. No, yes. Totally. Totally Definitely. fine. Yes, this, this will right. work. So, uh, Paul, we'll, we'll be in touch. We'll work out another time so we can uh, Thank work Thank you, it gentlemen. Out. Thank you, Paul. Have a good night. Thanks. You as well. Bye. Bye-bye. So we got okay. a little something out of him. Yes. You know? Yes, he was awake. Yes, yes, he was. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and as the club owner, you could see one thing you learn is that they are busy and they get yes. caught up in lots of stuff. Oh, God, I don't know another club. Maybe I'm just away from it too long that has five or six Different acts a night. That's a lot of music. I mean, you expect maybe three, you know, but to have one on the hour, uh, that's really something. Yes. Um, Yeah. Um, So we should stop. So with that in mind, we want to thank Ashley Welder. Thank you, Ashley. Being here, you did such a great job tonight, and you spoke, and you spoke yes, very well. Yes, we had her on the mic. Thank you, Paul Rizzo, for doing what you did, Paul Rizzo. Yes. Uh, Dr. Esteban Marconi, we should thank you for being here. Yes, and thank you, too, for uh, carrying the ball. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And, I, and I, I was the bell of the ball, and I'd like to know where my 40s went. Where did my 40s go? Oh, uh, you'll know tomorrow. I know, I know. So, for <laughs> Ashley Wattner, Dr. Esteban Marconi, I'm your professor, David Kerr. Philip, you've been listening to Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio, number one radio station in, of, of college, of all the <laughs> United States of the Americas. Yes. Yes, and at the end of our show, we don't say hello, because that's the dumbest thing in the world to do, because you're ending the show. Hola. So, what we want to do is do another word. Yes. Three syllables, and it goes just like this. Arrivederci. Adios. 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 I can't remember when you looked at me and cried, said something broke inside us. your hand in mine and couldn't play in time